0: You know, my mum, she done the best she could. I remember we used to go to a shop called um, Pound World and everything was under a pound. And, you know, we sort of schedule out the week. So we'd get seven yogurts and you can have one yoghurt a day. And this is all going on at a time where kids should be concentrating on schoolwork. And it's just crazy to think that this this is still going on at this. You know, we're in 2020 now and it's just something that I don't believe should be should be happening. One Saturday in early November, the 23-year-old Manchester United footballer Marcus Rashford was celebrating his team's victory over Everton when he received an unexpected phone call. It was Boris Johnson who wanted to personally inform him of the government's decision to spend an extra £170 million to support low-income families over Christmas and the coming year. Rashford is a star striker who has spoken about his own childhood experiences of relying on free school lunches and food banks. More than one million people signed his petition demanding free school meals for disadvantaged students over the holidays. There is also an ongoing outpouring of empathy on social media. The extra government money will go to local authorities to support thousands of vulnerable children, many of whom simply don't have enough to eat due to the economic crisis caused by the coronavirus pandemic. It is the second time this year that Rashford has forced the government to change its policies In June, it agreed to keep funding meals for poor students over the summer holidays after initially resisting. Welcome to LSEIQ. I'm Joanna Bale and this is the podcast where we ask social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question. This month, we are bringing you a mini episode asking, how can we end child poverty in the UK? Kitty Stewart is Associate Professor of Social Policy at LSE and Associate Director of LSE's Centre for Analysis of Social Exclusion. I asked her to explain why, even before the pandemic, so many children live in what some charities describe as Dickensian levels of poverty, and to reflect on the extraordinary success of Marcus Rashford's
1: campaign the uh number of children in poverty and the share of children in poverty has been rising in recent years so since about 2012 13 it's been rising on the measure that we usually use which is a relative child poverty measure so it's it's linked to the the, the standard of living in the society 60% of the the median um living standards and in the last couple of years, we've also seen a rise on a measure which is a much more stringent measure, which we sometimes call the absolute uh, poverty measure, um, which stays the same over time in real terms. Um, and we're, we're starting to see in the last year or two an increase against uh, that measure too. So that's obviously uh, particularly worrying.
0: Um, How has COVID affected situation?
1: Well, our data tends to be lagged. So we don't yet know uh, with confidence, we can't yet say what the impact of COVID has been on child poverty. But of course, uh, all the signs show uh, that child poverty is likely to have risen quite sharply under uh, during the pandemic and, and since the lockdown. So because we know there's been a big impact on employment and on wages. And we also know that the social security system is not really doing its job adequately to support um, families with children.
0: Why do you think Marcus Rashford has had such an impact?
1: Uh, It's been very interesting to see the impact that Marcus Rashford has had. I think he's an unusual uh, uh, person in this debate because he obviously is a a big role model, a real superstar on the football field, and he also has a personal experience of this. So he grew up in a lone parent family. He himself was um, received free school meals at school, and so I think it's that combination of someone people respect and listen to. And some and a voice of of experience, I think it underlines actually it sort of reminds us of how little we listen to people with personal experience of of some of the issues that that um, governments tackle, and and how we really need more of those voices in debates, and we need much uh, more representation in parliament of people with very different uh, and widespread experiences.
0: He has persuaded the government to part with an awful lot of money. Do you think this will make much difference?
1: Well, in some ways, it's terrific what he's achieved. It really is. Uh, and it's definitely going to make a real difference to families. For example, over Christmas, families who will now receive uh, support, uh, resources in, in order to provide food for their children. So that's great. Uh, at the same time, I think we need to be a little bit careful because what's happening is, is a focus on, on really a symptom of the problem and it's uh, it's, it's been happening um, in other areas too uh, in recent years so it's a sort of fragmentation of the way that we think about a problem like poverty so we we're talking here a lot about food poverty and the solution is seen to be well let's give the parents vouchers for money so that they can for food so that they can buy buy their kids food Uh, Last year, we had a debate about something called period poverty, so so girls not being able to afford sanitary products and eventually the government responded to that and they now provide free uh, sanitary products in school. So, both of those moves are good, they're immediate, they they make a difference. But I think we need to step back and think about what the real problem is and the real problem here is that uh, families don't have uh, enough resources to be able to look after their children and i think there are, there are two kind of aspects to why that's problematic i think this fragmentation one is that it starts to get people to think about this problem as one in which uh parents aren't doing the right thing for their kids they're not looking after their children they're not buying them food so let's give them healthy meals in school they're not you know uh providing for sanitary products and so on and so we start to kind of think about the problem as being one about uh, of the, about the parents and the parents not really doing their job and the state having to step in to that space the second uh, reason it's problematic is 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 it pushes us towards these solutions which are sort of like sticking plaster solutions putting a putting a patch on a little a symptom of the problem rather than tackling uh the real issue and the fundamental issue is parents not having the resources to be able to look after their children and the reasons behind that are uh, structural and to do with uh, broader inequalities in society. So they're to do with wage inequalities, they're just to do with insecure and precarious employment. And they're also to do with uh, the social security system, which has ex- been really large cuts to social security over the last seven or eight years, and those have reduced its ability uh, to, to make sure that people have the resources they need uh, for their families.
0: The government has increased universal credit quite recently, I think, to mitigate the pandemic. Is that enough? Or I just wonder what, what you think the, the solution is, really.
1: So, yes, they've, introduced, they've increased universal credit by £20 a week. A couple of things uh, about that. The first is that, that that is an indication of the fact that the social security system wasn't adequate to, to, to meet people's needs when things go wrong. I mean, the whole aim of a social security system is really uh, to be there when, when there's bad luck or, or things go wrong for people. So things like someone in the family falling ill, losing their job because maybe the firm goes bust, uh, a bereavement, all of those things are, have obviously been particularly important and salient during the pandemic. But those are things that happen to families, you know, year in, year out. And uh, since the Second World War, the the whole aim of us having um, a social security system and a a safety net was to make sure it was there. When things went wrong, it's there to to look after you. Our system wasn't really fit for purpose, it turned out. And once this was, so many more people were experiencing uh, social security, that became very evident. The government stepped in and increased universal credit by 20 pounds. So that's good. But that 20 pounds is, it's the same for each family. So if you're a single person in receipt of universal credit, you receive 20 pounds. If you're a family with three children, for example, you also receive 20 pounds. And you can see that obviously the money goes less far for the family than for the individual. And one thing the government hasn't done is to to step up in relation to families with children. There's been no additional uh, support for children. So they could, for example, have increased the, the child element in universal credit, and that would have been a way to really make sure that they were helping um, families with children. There's also quite a new policy called the two-child limit, which means you only get support uh, for children for your first two children in the family. So any new child born since 2017, when the policy came in, doesn't receive any support. Um, this would have been a good opportunity to abolish that policy, but that hasn't happened. The system has been improved a little bit, but not in a way which really meets the needs of families with children.
0: The whole point of this episode is to ask the question, how can we end child poverty?
1: So it's interesting. We're recording this towards the end of 2020. And this was the year that that, uh, Tony Blair, he was prime minister back in 1999, said, by 2020, we will have eradicated child poverty. He gave himself 20 years or the the country 20 years to achieve that. And here we are, 2020, child poverty is rising again. And some people may look back at that pledge and think, well, you know, politicians always say these things, just, just more words. But real progress was being made. It is possible to do something about this. So we had um, a Child Poverty Act, uh, which placed a duty on national and local government to have a strategy and to develop policies to tackle child poverty and for local agencies to work together. So it's a multi-pronged strategy and the government had to report each year on what was being done and it had targets uh, to reduce child poverty and it was coming down. There are a number of different policies that are important. So one is um, the cost of housing, very expensive. So more action to reduce housing costs for families is important. Um, action to make uh, employments more secure for families and um, to to tackle wages and wage inequality. So there has been um some really effective things done to reduce to to increase the national minimum wage. To, produ- to give a higher floor in wages. But beyond that, there are still problems I think in terms of, of, of relatively low wages. But the third thing that I think is really important is um, support, financial support for families through the social security system. So um, we've known really for more than a hundred years since Seabom um, Roundtree did his research that there are times in people's lives where they are more at risk of living in poverty. So he pointed out, he did a survey, one of the very first, and he pointed out that uh, when there are children at home, when a family has more mouths to feed, it's much more, that family is much more likely to be poor. And what uh, welfare states um, across the world have realized is that we can support families by helping them to helping us all to smooth our incomes a little bit over our lives, so that we have more financial support during that period. So we had in the UK we had family allowances after the war that later became universal child benefits, and that was later supplemented by more means tested support as well through tax credits and universal uh, credits. And the idea there is is simply that uh, we, re- we we have that little bit more support when we need it. And that has really started to be dismantled over the last seven or eight years. And there's more a sense that families should be self-sufficient. They shouldn't need support from the states, um, that it's a problem if they need support and, and 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 support should really only be for the very, very most needy, the very most vulnerable. But really, this idea of self-sufficiency, I think, is 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 quite flawed. There are times where we all need help, maybe because we're sick, unemployed. Uh, And also at times when we're parents of dependent children. So I think thinking through uh, and returning to this idea of uh, more generous, universal uh, child benefits and support through the social security system is really, really fundamental to tackling child poverty. And that's also a message that we see when we look at other countries uh, across Europe who've done a better job on this than we have. Since about 2012, 2013, we've seen a series of cuts to cash transfers, social security benefits. Um, Some of those have been specifically targeted at families with children. So, for example, the two-child limit that now restricts support uh, through universal credit to the first two children in the family. But there have also been uh, more general cuts to housing support, for example, that have also had a real, really um, affected households with children, among others and there's been a cash freeze on the value of almost all working age benefits from 2015 to 2020 so that means the the cash value of that uh, benefit remained the same and that meant that the what it was worth what you could buy with that money has uh, decreased over time with inflation and that has also had a really uh, big impact on on what families are able to afford so think we've really been moving away from the idea of, of, a, of a welfare state, which provides support from cradle to grave and helps us meet our needs at the times in our life when we need them, when we need it, towards what what is really a much more perhaps Victorian idea of of uh, of us providing support only for the very poorest in society, those in really desperate need, and perhaps through a sort of patchwork of support, uh, which involves charity such as food banks being kind of a part of the picture. So one of the things that the government has done in response to Marcus Rasher's campaign is to put some money, pledge money to support food banks, which I think is a really interesting and quite a worrying uh, step. Because food banks are there to fill the gaps. They're there because social security has not been adequate. And if you think about the way that a food bank works, it's a person needs a voucher. They need to get um, a ticket, a voucher from somebody like a GP, a social worker, a benefit officer, and then they take that to the food bank and they hand it over and they're given food which people have donated. It's, it's not very dignified. It can be very stigmatizing. It's something which I think can make people feel quite, uh, quite bad and it's really not necessary. So we never used to have that as part of our system. It's really the food bank phenomenon has really come from nowhere in the last eight years or so as we've seen these cuts take effect in the social security uh, system And the, the answer from the government should be to try to make food banks redundant again by making sure that no one needs to go and ask for support um, rather than to be institutionalising them as part of the system. Tell us what you think using
0: the hashtag LSEIQ. This episode of LSEIQ was produced by James Ratti, Ollie Johnson and me, Joanna Bale. It was based in part on the following research. Karis Cooper and Kitty Stewart, Does Household Income Affect Children's Outcomes? A Systematic Review. Kitty Stewart and Mary Reader, The Conservatives' Record on Early Childhood Policy, Spending and Outcomes 2015 to 2020. Polly Vizard and John Hills and a Research Team at Case, The Conservatives' Record on Social Policy, Policies, Spending and Outcomes 2015 to Pre-COVID 2020. Join us next time when we ask, what's the point of social science in a pandemic? For more episodes of this podcast and to subscribe, please visit lscacuk forward slash IQ or search for LSE IQ in your favourite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review as this makes the podcast easier for new listeners
1: to discover.